Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. Last week, we were going to begin a series that we ended up not being able to. So what I'm doing is kind of combining maybe two weeks worth of sermons into one. So hopefully I have enough material to, you know, make this worth your time. I think the gospel being preached is time well spent. Um, but what we've decided for this year, as we're, we're looking at 2022 as a church, is we're really going to start hammering discipleship. So you're going to hear us uh, speak on that a lot. And we're going to, that's how we're beginning this year, this, this day, our first sermon of 2022 on discipleship and the importance of it, not just the importance of it, but the necessity of it, that it's, it's vital to a healthy, vibrant body of Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke chapter 14. This is just going to be sort of a, a one-off sermon. We're going to jump back into Mark, I think, next week. Don't, don't quote me on it just yet. Um, we'll, but I think we're going to get back into our series then. But Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be uh, here in just a moment. And I'll ask you to stand again here in just a moment. Uh, but while you're flipping there, um, I grew up in the 90s, as a lot of, of you did, uh, some of you did. And during the 90s, there was big things happening in the church, especially in, in the Western church, in the Church of America. Um, there was what was called the worship wars. I don't know if you were a part of that or saw that, or maybe your church split over that. Uh, a lot. I mean, I, well, I laugh. That's not nothing to laugh about. Forgive me. But um, it was a it was a difficult time, a, a good time, bad times. There was a lot going on. It was a very charismatic time of you know God is love movement, and there was a lot of really great things that came from it. Uh, a lot of really interesting things also that came from it. Um, maybe if you were like me, uh, you sported your, your WWJD bracelet. You know, I never picked up a basketball without one or two or four or, four or five of them on my wrist. Um, maybe you had your frog t-shirt. Maybe you camped out in, you know, heaven and earth and, and played with the toys and watched three to one penguins or something. And that's, those are the things that I found myself doing. Um, VeggieTales was, you know, top in my, you know, theater choices and, um, there was a lot of big things going on. I remember uh, Promise Keepers was really big. You know, it was like all of a sudden you had this big group of men that were getting hyped up and good. You know, nothing, nothing wrong with these things. Uh, Purpose Driven Church became everyone's motto. You know, everyone, every church was, you know, driving with purpose. Um, it was an electric time for the Christianity brand, I think. It was good for the time. It was good for the brand, and many of us cut our teeth on that type of Christianity, the, uh, you know, how great is our God stuff. And, and I'm in no way downplaying any of this stuff. I was saved during this time. Many of you may have been saved during this time. There's nothing wrong with it, but I think that it was maybe a, a more of a focus on a, on a branding of Christianity rather than really something beyond just the surface level. It was a super friendly time. I remember, uh, remember you remember... Maybe you remember waking up in the middle of the night and hearing, you know, uh, Christian songs just 
playing on the TV, and they were remember they were selling those albums all the time on television, and um, you know you had those things and the Wow CDs. Did anyone have Wow CDs growing up? Man, I we had every one of them, uh, and you know we couldn't get the Now CDs, <laughs> right? You know, God forbid. Um, we couldn't get the Now CDs, but the Wow CDs, yes, absolutely. Kids bopped also off the table, wasn't allowed to. It was still the devil. Um, but it was a super friendly time. It was a super friendly version of Christianity that we saw. But as I look back, and, and again, I was just a kid, so I, I, you know, my analysis may not be fair, but following Christ then didn't seem to come with much of a cost. It was more of, it was sort of mainstream, wasn't it? I mean, it was everywhere. Churches were big and full and exciting. But what we're going to read today is that following Christ comes at a cost. And that's, that's not easy to put on a commercial. Um, it's not easy to, to advertise. It's not good for the brand to say like, hey, this is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a lot. In fact, it's going to cost you everything. It doesn't, that's not a great maybe motto. It's not the first line in purpose-driven church. But it is the purpose of the church. And so we're going to look today at our text, Luke chapter 14. I'm just going to ask you just to stand one more time. Uh, we stand to honor the reading of God's word. We've, it is infallible, it is important, it is vital. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Let's uh, look to that this morning. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not sit first down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man begun, began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going, to, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we desire this morning to hear and to understand the cost of discipleship. Allow us, Lord, to, to see this cost as necessary as we, we focus to understand your word more clearly. We thank you, Lord, for this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So maybe you're familiar with this word, uh, discipleship. Maybe it's something that you uh, have participated in or, or been a part of. I mean, I would say that we've all participated in discipleship to some degree. Uh, you're participating in discipleship right now by just, you know, being here, listening and, and fellowshipping. I remember uh, as a teenager going through discipleship boot camp, and it was like, you know, 
uh, two months of, the, you know, more, it was, I think it was only like two books, but it was the most reading I had ever done in two months of my entire life. And I, you know, skipped through and did the best that I could, but it was difficult and it was this big thing. And uh, it felt more of a, of a job, it felt more of a, uh, of a task, a moment. It was summer. It was the thing that my parents put me in that I didn't want to be in, discipleship, you know. And uh, today I want us to sort of, as we look to the Word, see that it's more natural and more organic than just, you know, Mosaic needs to set up a group and that this is the place that you go to to be discipled. It needs to be more of our life, more part of who we are rather than just what we go and do. Does that make sense? So I want to sort of describe to us this morning as we are looking at discipleship, well, what is discipleship? Um, well, here's, here's some things that discipleship is not. This is more of the way my brain thinks. Like, let's just say, what is discipleship? What is it not? <laughs> right. And here's one thing that it is not. Discipleship is not the second level of Christianity. It's not like you, you become a Christian and then after you've become a Christian for some time, now you're ready to move into discipleship. This isn't, uh, it, though it is a sign of maturing and it is God working through us and in, in working toward this sort of progressive sanctification, becoming a disciple or becoming a disciple maker is level one. Not that there are levels of Christianity or that we've got some sort of hierarchy or anything like that, but this is the basis is when you are saved, you become a disciple. This is what Jesus is, is showing us in the text here is, look, I want you to consider the cost before you come into this thing. He's not saying before you decide to take on a mentorship. He's saying before you call yourself Christian, ask yourself, is this worth the cost? Before you lay the foundation, before you go to war, before you do any of these things, look at this and say, am I willing to be discipled? Am I willing to disciple others? In Hebrews, we see that there are uh, Christians, and I didn't, I didn't give you the text, Dale. There are Christians who uh, are there to exhort one another in, in days, to day after day, every day, to avoid sin and to stir one another up in love and good works. So this is, this is what we need. We need to stir one another up in good works and avoid sin. This is what discipleship does. Accountability does some amazing things, doesn't it? Do you become sort of a, I don't want to say like a better Christian, like just bear with me as I'm very bad at the English language. Uh, you don't become a better Christian, but when you're around other Christians, don't, doesn't more of your Christianese start to come out a little bit more? Do you understand? Like when I'm around other Braves fans or other baseball fans, there I mentioned it again, I'm going to every sermon. When I'm around other baseball fans, something about being around other baseball fans just brings out the baseball in me, right? I mean, we were talking contracts with Freddie Freeman before service started because I was with another brother who has a, has a beautiful and uh, desire for the Atlanta Braves. And I appreciate that in you, Brian. And I appreciate your desire for baseball. The Dodgers, I could go without. But regardless, I, when, when you're around that commonality, there, it, it just brings it out of you, right? That's what, it scares me when people are like, you know, well, the church is online now. You know, <laughs> no, we're, we're not. We're not online. I mean, you can, you can post sermons and you can wa watch sermons, but it doesn't stir your affections for the Lord like being with God's people, like being discipled. When I walk into this place on Sunday mornings, admittedly, oftentimes I am exhausted and not ready. 
I am just like, you know, by time it's by time it's 1030, I've already done, we've already, either Greg or myself has already done morning sermon prep that morning, which we always try to avoid, but it always happens. So, you know, the day starts very early. Um, we've loaded, we've went and got the trailer and loaded everything up. And, and I'm not in any way complaining. I'm just saying by time 1030 comes around, I'm done. But then as we begin to fellowship with one another, and as, you know, it's really important to me, the beginning of service, the conclusion of service, getting to see you guys and, and talk with you, that something begins to stir in me. And I almost feel this like sort of, uh, I don't want to say energy, but just this encouragement of being with God's people, right? Do you feel that? Do you sense that? I mean, have you ever walked, have you ever woke up and left for church? Of course you have. Have you ever left for church and thought, I do not want to be heading here? And then as you were leaving church saying, I am so glad that I was there. Not just because you needed to hear the word, which you did, not just because you needed to, to worship because you do, but because you're with God's people and that interaction, that discipleship, that fellowship that's taking place is vital to your soul. And the enemy will convince you it is better for me to rest today. I'm glad that you're here. Honestly, I didn't know who was going to be here. Everything was going against us. The lead pastor <laughs> was out. My brother called. He's supposed to get the trailer this morning. He was sick. I was like, come on, man, you're killing me. I'm like, how sick are you? He's like, well, I'm, I just finished throwing up. I'm like, all right, that's too sick. All right, so I mean, we have everything. We get here. The nursery is packed with the dance company's Christmas stuff. Whatever, you know, we're calling audibles left and right. Um, and then, you know, the weather is bad. And I'm like, no one's going to be at church today. I don't blame them. But I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad to be here. As Christians, in 1 Peter, it's mentioned that Christians are, are there to use their gifts to serve one another. This is the purpose. And so it's not the second level of Christianity. It's not just for the more maturing Christians. It's for the Christian. And so it's not always, it's not second-level Christianity. Another thing that, that uh, discipleship is not, it's not always organized. It can be organic. In Titus, Paul is instructing that older women should, uh, or it's being instructed to Titus that older women should train younger women. What Paul is giving is these instructions. He's giving it's very practical for the people. This is an instruction that older women uh, and younger women should be intertwined with one another because of the part of the role of an older and mature Christian training a younger one, not just to give spiritual advice, but also in ways to conduct themselves, in ways of behavior and in good judgment. And so it's not that we don't, you know, it's, it's a way that we can look at one another and say, look, I've seen what you've went through and show me how, you know, teach me. Even this week as I was in the hospital, you know, and I'm, I'm watching my dad, like, you know, have these panic attacks and grieving. And, like, I'd never, I'd never seen him like that. Never in my life had I had to be for my dad, who my dad's always been for me. And during that time, like, we, we were up praying at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning a couple of nights ago. Again, I don't know what day it is right now. <laughs> I mean, it's Sunday, all right? I got, I got that far. But, like, during that time, like, I was sitting there, and, and I had to ask my dad, like, what is God teaching us? right now. And that is, the, that is the benefit of discipleship, is that we can look at one another, and we can see one another suffering, and we can see what one another have been through, 
whether they brought those things on themselves or by someone else or health or whatever it might be. And we can look at one another and say, what is God teaching you that he can teach me? What is God teaching you right now that you can share with someone else? What sins have you fought? What sins have you killed? What sins are you fighting right now that another brother or sister would be glad to hear that they're not alone in fighting that exact same thing? Man, I grew up battling sin, secret sin, thinking that I was the only one that ever would have ever dealt with that sin before. And that was a lie. That was a lie to keep me isolated. Because what the enemy will do is he'll take your sin and he'll take your circumstance, he'll take your suffering, and he'll say, that's for you. And if you share those things with the church, you're going to mess up momentum. The church is going really good right now, so we don't need to hear about your sins or your struggles or your difficulties. And I hope that uh, Mosaic, in however long you've been here, whether this is your first day or you've been here with us for, well, we turned two years old this week. That's crazy. I just realized that. But whether, whether you've you know, been a part of this for a while or not, hopefully you've, you've sensed some vulnerability, at least from the pulpit and from one another, that we are able to say like, hey, this is where I'm struggling. Or maybe you've even been sat down by someone and say, hey, brother, sister, this is where I see the struggle. And we have had those conversations with, with some people, and we've had some of those conversations with some of you, and you're still here. And we've had conversations like that with others that have said, this ain't for me. I'm out. I don't want the accountability. Because if you are a member and you do not want accountability or discipleship, this isn't going to be a good place to be a member. Because we see that it's not only necessary, but it's biblical. It's vital. So it's not always organized. It is organic. It's, it's practical. It's, hey, like, man, I'm really struggling with my kids right now. Do you have some advice? Kids are complicated. <laughs> like, or my marriage is, is really difficult right now. My, me and my wife are not communicating the way that, that we'd like to be. Do you have some advice? Or maybe you notice that in a brother or, you know, hey, like, I notice that, you know, your kids are horrible. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't have to say that. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. But like, you know, help a brother out. And there are parents that are like, man, I just need a break. You know? We're there to be there for one another, not just show up. Don't let the enemy convince you that you have nothing to offer. You have something to offer. You are not too old. You are not too unused. You are not too unskilled. You are not, you are necessary because you are part of the body of Christ. And all members are necessary. All parts are necessary. And so it's not, it, it, it is sometimes not organized, and it can be organic. Which leads me to the next point. It's not always organic. Sometimes it is planned. Sometimes it is structured, and that's a good thing too. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, And what have you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, uh, of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also? So this is a type of discipleship that is intentional and direct. It has a purpose. It has a goal. That's a good thing. We should, we should be intentional with, with sitting down with one another, and we're going to really challenge everyone this year. We're going to say like, hey, like make time for this. We're going to have groups of one or two, you know, men with men, women with women. We're going to have them all separated and doing whatever schedule works best. For me, like 6.30 in the morning, that's a good time. 
For some of you, not a good time, and that, that's okay. Like, we're going to make sure that schedules work, that people can be uh, involved and growing with one another. Our biggest fear, um, Greg and myself, as we were praying and preparing to, to launch this church at some point, I mean, this has been, you know, we're two years old. It's been years in the process. But one of our prayers was, Lord, allow us to grow slow numerically, which he's answered, <laughs> uh, but we're growing. Uh, but the other, the other prayer was, we don't ever want to outpace ourselves with the growth of numerically than we do our growth spiritually. The last thing I want is 200 babies, you know? And so we really believe that the next step for Mosaic is that there needs to be a spiritual maturity. That take, and that's not to down anybody. That, that's that's going to be needed, necessary in my own life, it's going to be necessary in Greg's life. It's going to be necessary in our wives and you guys, everyone. Um, because this church could get to the place where I'm no longer capable of pastoring it because I just haven't grown with the people. And, and I, don't want it, I don't want it to come to that. I don't want us to feel like we are getting moved by uh, because we're just simply not willing to grow. And so it's going to require effort. This is going to be a pretty like, practical and applicable sermon today. As I'm, just, I'm simply asking you to submit yourself to God's word to submit to yourself to the things that God has laid out in the one being that of discipleship, that it, it can, it should at times have a purpose and a goal. Lastly, what discipleship is not, it is not, and I, I kind of hit on this, it is not negotiable. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth it was given, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is strictly saying he is not interested in creating spectators, but rather recruits. That is what he is doing. That is what he is gathering. He isn't gathering a people who just simply come and observe. That's, we do that in anywhere else in life. We do that at concerts and sporting events. And, um, you know, Greg, again, he's going to be at the game tonight. In no way is he participating in that game. He will be arrested, if so. And I know the guy, he's not going to take the move. He's not going to run out there on the field. Might be a bucket list for me, but not for him. Uh, he's going to be sitting still, and he's going to be doing exactly what he should be doing, observing. Many places in life, that's what you should do. Just observe. Um, because otherwise you will break laws or get in trouble or get hurt or, you know, whatever it might be. The church has been called to the exact opposite, not to observe, not to sit and just partake, but to be a part. And so it is not negotiable. Three times in the passage that we have, uh, of our main text here in Luke, we've we read that Jesus says that there are ways that you cannot be his disciple. So I want to kind of hit on those. Verse 26 in our, in our text, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I remember reading this as a teenager, and it scared me a little bit. You, did you ever by yourself, maybe as a teenager or a young Christian, just read the scripture on your own at times and stumble upon big issues? Right? There was two of them for me. This was one of them, and then the donkey talking in numbers. Like, 
borderline a deal breaker for a long time, you know, and before I, the Lord gave me faith. Um, that was a big issue for me. But here, when I, I remember reading this and thinking, like, Jesus, like, maybe there's a misprint in this Bible, because I'm pretty sure it says that I should hate my own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister. I mean, even my own life. Surely this isn't, uh, this is, you know, there's some context to it. Of course there is. The scripture is filled with many reasons as to why you should love your family. It would actually be a direct violation of the fifth commandment if Jesus was saying you should hate your family, hate your father in that regard. But what he is suggesting is that there is, that in our love and commitment and devotion, that all of these things that we love the most, most will look like hate in comparison. That, that when we look at Christ, that when we see him, that he is our first love, that he is above everything else, that he is what we would trade nothing for, a desire so strong that you'd be willing to run away from your family for it. You'd be able to run away from your job for it, your reputation for it, your life for it. This type of understanding and maturity is obviously going to need personal growth. You need to be disciplined, discipled. You need to be shown. You need to find brothers and sisters that you can walk with in the faith because no one you know, starts out as a Christian and just says like, well, I hate everything else in comparison to you. Like it, it is a journey, right? And so we're, we're on this journey. I would invite you to pray for someone to, to be in your life that can mentor you. In, in some degree, um, that can speak into your life. And I remember doing this uh, when we lived in Mississippi back in 2000 and, I don't know, 12, 13. Uh, I remember praying for a mentor. And the Lord, it's a long story, but it's a, it's a beautiful one of God's providence and, and his just sort of ordaining all the steps. And me meeting, uh, for the first time, this guy named Lee Grady, who uh, here I am, like the Lord is just reforming my heart. I am just diving deep into five points and maybe I'm three points, maybe I'm four points. I'm just going all over the place in theology. I'm learning from guys that I was told never to listen to at times and, and, and I don't still at this time and other guys that I've just fell in love with. And, and here is this guy, Lee Grady, who shows up, who is the chief editor for Charisma Magazine. He is like on the... Pentecostal holiness board. I mean, he's, he's everything I've been running from, right? And yet we connect and there isn't this, there isn't this theological meshing that, take, that, takes, that took place. Like when I sat down with Greg and all of a sudden like, oh, wow, you're reading that book? I'm reading that book. Like there was just this amazing connection. But there was this brother in Christ, this older man who said like, I'm willing to walk with you for as long as I'm on this earth and pray over you and be there for your, your best interests. And that was a major necessity in my life. And I truly believe it came from me just realizing the importance of mentorship, discipleship, and saying, Lord, I need someone in my life like this. And he's still a part of my life, though we disagree wholeheartedly on theological things. Uh, he, I am a strict complementarian, and he is a strict egalitarian. And, like, and we laugh at some of those things, and we get mad at some of those things with one another. And that's okay. It's okay. We don't have to agree on all things to all, you know, with all people. So I say all that to say that when you're looking for someone that you can uh, glean from, don't look at 
don't, you don't just need to find someone who's just who you think you're going to be 10 years from now. Look at a brother or a sister in Christ who has walked the faith. No matter what some of their conclusions are, we can, we can disagree on secondary issues. But I say that to encourage you because a pastor, I remember, preached something similar to that to me. And I, it, something sparked in me that I should pray for that. And I did. And God answered. So I just want to throw that out there for you, that if you feel like you're just kind of wandering around without some sort of mature mentorship, begin praying for it. And just a side note as well, if you begin praying for that, that is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That if you begin to pray those things, just know that that is the Lord like wooing you to that thought, wooing you to that good work of mentorship. And so we see that He's saying that you have to have this strong commitment, that in order for us to make disciples, disciples, we need to understand why we do it and what we have been called to. This is the cost of discipleship, that it requires devotion. For many of you in this room that don't know, Mosaic has a pretty outstanding men's softball team. I know that you, uh, you may not know this, but we're, we're okay. And uh, we played last year. It was, it was a wonderful time. The best fellowship I can think of. Like, it is, we have so much fun. Uh, guys, uh, I'm looking around. More of the guys in this room are not on the softball team than are. And I just want to say, like, you should, I don't care. If your wife is like, uh, there's no way he could play. Like, he can't throw anything. Come and play with us. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, we would love to have you. It's a great time of fellowship. I 100% support it. If it weren't for me, I'll just be honest, Mosaic wouldn't have a softball team. I am the, because Greg don't care a hoot, but he is glad that we did it, and he's glad to join us. Um, he's not allowed on the team, so, um, but we'll, uh, but when we go out there and we, we enjoy time, I mean, it is probably more fun than it is spiritual. I'll just say that, but it doesn't mean that it isn't necessary um, and that it isn't important, and we do have prayer and fellowship and wonderful time, but my point is that week after week, <laughs> this is meant to be a little convicting, I'll just so you know, it's a little convicting for myself, but week after week, I will see men move their work schedule, <laughs> they, will not, they will make sure that they have a babysitter, they will show up to the field 45 minutes, I mean, we're talking like, you know, None of us are pro ball players by far. They will show up 45 minutes before game time to get their arm warmed up. I'm like, man, come on. Like, <laughs> you don't need to do that much exercise before we get out there, right? I mean, you ate McDonald's and then came out here and are going to start stretching a little bit. But they're out there. They're getting themselves, you know, warmed up so they don't have a catastrophic injury that will cost them their career. And I understand that. But what my point is, is that I see that they make every effort to be there, be on time, be early. Throughout the week, they're texting me strategy, like, hey, man, why did you bump me down in the lineup? And I'm just like, because you're awful, you know? <laughs> like, that's why, like, I'm, and that's the, that's the reality, too, if you decide to come out and play. Like, if you're bad, like, you just will be bad. <laughs> it's, it's okay, but we'll put you down at the bottom. Um, <laughs> so... The, the point that I'm, I'm trying to convey is I'm, I'm probably going off track a little bit is that we can place spiritual we can place non-spiritual things in top priority and make room for them very easily. But when it comes to things like discipleship and spiritual growth, that all of us would say, whether we whether we're lying about it or not, 
all of us would say that is most important. Discipleship, spiritual growth is very important. Whether our lives resemble that or not, as Christians, we'll say it's important. It's the most important thing. But then when the rest of our lives don't really make room for it or we don't have time for it, then we should feel convicted by it. That if our spiritual growth is so valuable that our relationship, uh, that your relationship with the closest people, it should pale in comparison to our relationship with the Lord. That's what, that's what Jesus is getting at. He's like, I see that you have important things like mother, father, wife, sister, brother, yourself. Those are important things. And, he, and, and Jesus, I'm sure, is like, you've made time for all of those things. But are you making time for spiritual growth? This is, you know, convicting, even for myself as I'm reading through the text and, you know, realizing that, I, man, I sure do make time for every Netflix movie I ever want to see. <laughs> right? If anyone throws out a suggestion, which you're welcome to do afterwards, I gladly take them. I have a little list that I keep. But I'll mark those things off my list and I'll make sure that I get through them. That's two hours, you know, hour and a half of my time that has no weight in the kingdom of God. And so these are tough words that Jesus is, is saying that in comparison with your love toward him, that it should be hate toward your mother, father, and wife in comparison to him. So that's one of the things that he says, you can't be a disciple unless this is the way that you feel toward it. In verse 27, he gives us another reason. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So at this time in life, when Jesus says this, that if anyone is seen walking down the road with a cross on their shoulder, it's bad news for them. Uh, they are going to die. They are taking their, uh, their weapon or the, the device that's going to be used to kill them on. They're, they're carrying that themselves, and they're going to be killed because of their crime, or in Jesus' case, because of his persecution. And so he's saying that there is a sacrifice that comes with this, a self-denial that comes with this. It's so, much, it's so easy for us just to come and to attend church, again, bringing me back to sort of the opening of this sermon of going to church in the, the 90s where there wasn't this invitation. There was an invitation. Like, I, again, all of us have probably different church backgrounds. Just to throw it out there where I was, I was like at every, you know, Winterfest. I don't know if you, you know what that is, but I, mean, I was there with, you know, Jensen Franklin. If Jensen Franklin get up on the stage, like I was going to get saved that night and, you know, whatever it might be. Like I was there in those services, super hyped up. And I'm not saying, please do not get me wrong. I'm not saying that God was not moving during those times. He absolutely was. I'm not down in any of those times but I never once heard something, and if I did, I was just not listening, that this isn't, this isn't just an invitation to come. It's an invitation to come and to die, is what Christ gives us. Come to me and die with me. Die to yourself. Die to the things that are most important to you in your life. That's a, that's a scary thought. It's a, it's a, it's a scary calling In Philippians, we, we get a, a, a very explicit understanding of, of what this thought process looks like here. Philippians 1, chapter, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, says this, For I know that through your prayers, through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be, uh, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. And here's the, the famous line here, for to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He continues, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to the glory of Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. And again, what he's saying is that if I'm not going to be here, I'm going to be with Christ, but while I am here, I'm going to be fruitful unto Christ. This is, Paul has to be, for the guard's sake, for, for those that are, that are his captors, he has to be the most annoying man in all of Scripture because he is literally saying, like, if they kill me, it's going to be better off because I'm going to be with Christ. But if they don't kill me, I'm just going to be here and it'll be fine too. In fact, it'll be necessary because of the fruitfulness that's going to come from the ministry. Paul gets it. Doesn't he? He's like, if, I'm going to, if you're going to take me now, fine, because I know in Scripture that if I am absent from the body, I'll be present for the Lord. But if you're not going to take me, then I will be fruitful. There is no standing by for the Christian. That should shake us away from uh, the temptation to be nominal Christians, to just be kind of floating by. To, to listen to worship music in passing or to read the scripture when only, you know, it's necessary or to pray only when it's a meal. There's a cost. Verse 33 in our text, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, taking away this, this nominalism that is infecting the church. The church, and hear me out like uh, gracefully here. The church needs persecution again in, in some regard. We, we, are, we are problemless right now. And because of our problemness, problemlessness, we have become so comfortable that if all it took if you want to see the church at the same time shrink down to, to 20% of the U.S. population current church attendance, you want to see that thing shrink down to 20%, but yet become an absolute mighty thing, persecute it. Does that, is that making sense? Like, when there are no problems, when everyone's just floating by, when everyone is, you know, when we've got pastors who are writing books about how every day is Friday, how you can be, pros you know, how we can just prosper, how everything can just be better, and you just, you know, we're in America, we, you know, everyone can get rich if you just work hard enough, and you can blame it on God if you want to, you know? But when the day comes, and I believe it will come, and that's not a fearful thing, that's a, something we can look forward to, the church is going to get strong again. I think she is strong. I just think that she's covered in nominalism, covered in this infectious disease of people that are just sitting there who are completely lukewarm, and if, they're, if their faith was tested one time, they'd be out the door. And in fact, if the carpet's not the color they want, they probably are already out the door, right? 
When people were leaving church over the dumbest things, they were never a part of it. If you leave the church because the music's just a little too loud, man, I don't know. I mean, go to a quiet church, sure, but like, were they preaching Jesus? That should be hard to leave. It's hard to find churches that preach Jesus. And it's sad that I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) And so Jesus gives us this idea of of counting the cost, and he, he sort of gives us these two little like parables in this passage. Look again at verse 28. He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost to complete it? And he also talks about these kings that are going to war. Like, if you're going to go to war, you need to know who you, what you're fighting against. It would be foolish. He's saying, like, if you make a house and you, you tell it to all your friends, like, hey, I'm making a house, I got the supplies, and you build everything, and, and it cost you all that you had, and, and you planned it all out, and yet there's no roof on it, he, Jesus is like, you're going to get picked on. It was poor planning. And if you get into this thing called Christianity, if, if God brings you in and you're here and you're, you're a part, and all of a sudden some suffering pulls you away from it, then you, didn't, you did not evaluate what you were getting into. You didn't consider the cost. There is a cost to Christianity. And in our text, Jesus invites us to weigh that cost. I invite you this morning to consider the cost that's been laid before you. Maybe this isn't for you. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince, I'm not trying to talk anyone out of their faith. I'm just, and if I can, I don't know if there was any. But what I would suggest that if this isn't for you, if discipleship isn't for you, then, then I wouldn't say, I don't think the, the bigger picture is that, well, mosaic isn't for me then, which I would agree, it's not. Like if discipleship isn't for you, I would say that mosaic isn't for you. But I would go even further to say that if discipleship isn't for you, then I don't know if the church in general is for you. Maybe a, maybe a community group of you know, people that show up that call themselves believers. But Jesus concludes in our text that showing us that there is a way that while we, were still, while we are still on this earth, that we can be discipled, but it comes at a cost. He says that this is what you are put here on this earth to do, to be salt and light. And that's what he gets to here at the end of our text. As you all know, salt is used to, to season. Um, maybe there's some big salt fanatics in here. I don't know. I mean, I can go go with it, go without it. I know my sister-in-law, I wish she were here, but she put salt on like things no one should put salt on, right? You know, maybe someone like this that just like pizza, doesn't matter what it, like they're just, just salting everything. And I'm just like, oh, like well, just, you know, maybe you need some sodium, man. I don't know, like some ramen or something, man. You need to relax. Um, some deficiencies out there. But nonetheless, salt is good. In fact, the scripture says salt is good. And so we see that uh, there is this saltiness that Jesus speaks of. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, and it's not just for taste, it's for preservation too, that it's there to preserve things. 
He says that if salt has lost its taste, then how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either to the soil or to the manure pile. It is thrown away. What he's saying is that if saltiness has lost, if salt has lost its saltiness, it's nothing. It's worthless. Most salt at this time came from the Dead Sea, and it uh, contained impurities, uh, uh, carnalite and uh, gypsum, however you pronounce it. It it was these impurities that were combined in it. It was this salt that, if it were not processed properly, then it would have poor taste, and at worst, it would just become useless. Useless for, for all of its things, that its food and its ways of preserving it would become a disposal problem. It was, it, was a, a, it was a condition that Jesus is trying to edge toward his disciples here. That if these things, if these things are not kept, if this mentality, if this perspective of you have to give up everything, that if we're not willing to walk through that, then we will not be effective. If you're going to walk through this life with any dream or hope of being effective for the kingdom of God, but you are not, you are just stagnant in your walk. You are unwilling to move. You will not be effective. At least by God's standards. You could still get, you could still get up in a pulpit. I mean, look, I, I've, I've gotten up in a pulpit before without having sought God. I hate to admit that, you know, I've been in ministry for 15 years now. I've done a lot of dumb things. <laughs> but I know, that, I know that a pastor can fully get up and preach a successful sermon without ever entering into the throne room. I know. They could just go off their ability and their talents and their giftings and, and you know, their personality. And, and you see pastor after pastor that get up there and are amazing public speakers, but there's just something empty do you, do you understand? Have you sensed this? Have you felt this? Have you seen this? I hope that as we start this new year, I hope that you've you have created some resolutions. You know, I, I know I have. I've, you know, I've put on like fifteen pounds over Christmas. I'd like to lose those. I always have, you know, it's always that for me, or maybe I'll try to run some this year. I don't know. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not good at keeping my resolutions. I try my best, but. I think it's the last couple of years have truly shown us that uh, it's becoming increasingly obvious that our plans don't always work out. Anything can happen. Something can get in the way. A mandate can be imposed, whatever. Like, we, we're, we're kind of walking into this new year, I feel like, as a society, not just the church. I feel like as a society, we're kind of nervously walking into the new year. You know, like, hey, what's this one going to take? What's this one going to, to have? What are, what are we going to expect? What's going to happen? What's going to, what's going to take place? Once again, referring back to the the 90s culture, the early 2000s culture of the, the WWJD, you know, craze. It got preached a lot, and the more this got preached of what, what would Jesus do, the more we, be, 
we became this church of the, you may have heard, like a, a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic church of just, I'm going to just do these things, and because I've been good, God will be good to me. Like, I'm going to do what Jesus did. And, and there's nothing wrong with, like, walking in his example and doing the, and being who, you know, God has called you to be. And, of course, there's fruit from that, and, and we'll know one another by our works. And, and I'm, don't miss what I'm saying But I know that there are a lot of wonderful intentions with that mindset, but it is a bit faulty. What would Jesus do is a perfectly noble question. But simply having a good teacher will not save you, nor will it give you the fuel to sustain you in your faith. So a better question is not what would Jesus do, but rather what has Jesus done? Like that is fuel. Like I, I can, we can look at like what, what have they, what has someone done? Not just to follow in those steps, but to actually see like what is the fruit from what his works were. Like I'm not just going to do the things he did. I'm going to rely on what was actually accomplished. We know that Jesus wants us to be discipled and to disciple others. If we'd have pulled you guys as you walked into the room. Everyone, 100% of you would have been like, yes. Like, I'm not teaching you anything as far as that is concerned. Like, you know we're supposed to be discipled and discipling others. But look what Jesus has done. He has lived a, a perfect life, giving us example after example of how to live our lives and to disciple others. And he not only lived a perfect life, but he died a sinner's death on our behalf, a death that was made a way for us where there was no way. And then he rose from the dead that we would not just have life, but life more abundantly. And abundant life means that you do not just set aside things just for you or just for your, your wife or your children or your, your family, that there's more to it. This life is not simply about you and your family and your story and your goals and you and you alone. It means that, that you are, we are in Christ and we desire to be like him, yes, but we desire to know what he has done for us. And from that, it gives us the momentum that we need to go forward. When, when Paul is bragging, or not bragging, but he says like he can't brag in anything but what Christ has done. When he says like, look, if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. That is Christ's work. So God gets the glory in that. But he says, look, if I'm going to stay on this earth, I'm going to be fruitful here. And he's not bragging on himself. He's just like, I'm going to do for Christ what's already been done for me. Not so that he accepts us, but because he already has. Is this making sense? You ever worked for a bad boss, okay, and made the same money that you made for a, for a good boss? There's a difference, right? I mean, I, would, I know people have taken literally income cuts just to work with a different person. It matters. It matters who we work for. And just even in the natural world, but the more that we begin, this is why spiritual discipline, this is why discipleship is so important because the closer we get to the Lord and understanding who he is, the easier it gets to work for him, right? It's, so, it's such a beautiful 
thing that takes cause and effect that takes place is that the closer I get to him, the more I realize that he is for me. Sparrow, our little girl, she, for Christmas, she got all things doll, you know, dollhouse. She got a a big dollhouse that, uh, it's pretty big. It was given to us. It was an amazing blessing. It was like, it's like this tall. So it is, it is her world. And uh, she is, I mean, she climbs up, she has a little step stool that she has to like get up to. It's, it's the most adorable thing. And she is in there and she's got like her house set up and she's got her kitchen set up and uh, she's got a little like bluey, you know, if you're familiar with the cartoon, like a little neighborhood, you know, she's got it all. It's perfect. It's perfect for a three-year-old. She loves it. And uh the other day, this is, this is a true story. I was in the kitchen, and I and she has her kitchen next to Kelsey's kitchen. So, like, they can both be cooking at the same time, right? And uh, so Kelsey is in there, and I go in, and I grab uh, a salt shaker, and I go to salt my, my food. And I realize, like, this is a – I shake it. Nothing's come out. I realize this is a fake salt shaker. This thing looks so real that, like, I, I have been fooled. Or her food and stuff, like, it's not – it's not normal looking. I mean, it is normal looking stuff. It's scary, like how real this food looks. And uh, I had the salt shaker uh, sitting on the table to bring to me, with me uh, today, and I just forgot it. You know, it's just how, how things have gone. But as I was uh, thinking about that moment that I had a, a few weeks back of, of salting my food with fake salt shaker, um, I was reminded this morning as I was going through this text that we may have uh, the components that appear to be everything, that, that, that appear to be everything that, that we need, and uh, every, it looks the right way. It's, I mean, if you pick this salt shaker up, man, I wish I had it with me, but I mean, this thing, it sounds like salt is in it. It's got like a little like cracker. <laughs> like it's, it's like the most legitimate looking kid's salt shaker I've ever seen, but it's a fraud, And I will admit to you, and I'm sure others can do it as well. Maybe you've walked this life or whatever, but sometimes it's easier to pretend than we want to admit. It's easier to just come in and just say, like, you know, glory to God. Like, I I, I was at the gas station the other night. Um, Again, I don't know what time it was, but, I mean, I had been bawling my eyes out for, like, two hours. And you know how, like, your eyes will just, like, burn? Like, like I hadn't had a good cry in a long time. And I, and I was just crying, and I, and I remember going to the Fast Mart, left the hospital, go to the Fast Mart, get myself a monster so I could just stay awake for a little bit. And the person at the register just said, hey, man, how's it, how's it going? And I said, it's going good, man. And I just did my card. And then I walked out, and I was like, wait, what? Did I just tell that guy it was going good? Like, I'm not in no way, like, I wasn't going to just, like, unfold everything on the guy. But, like, I just so quickly went to the default pretend mode. And I'm not saying, like, you can't do that when you walk into a 7-Eleven or a Fast Mart, right? I don't think that person really cares. (laughs) But when you walk into church, do not go to that mode. When you are around God's people, do not say everything is good when it is not. The enemy, again, will so often convince you that no one, want, no one has time for your pain. No one has interest in your suffering. People are tired of hearing about it. That is not real salt. That's an artificial component that does not vibe in, in God's kingdom. 
And when we're like that, we provide no help. So this morning, as we get ready to to go to the table, I want you to to hear my words uh, today and receive them, not just as conviction, but receive them with motivation. Motivation to draw near to the Father through the means that He has provided for us so that we may know not just what to do to be like Jesus, but rather so that we can know what to do because of what Jesus has already done. That is what sends us. We don't get sent so that we will be like Jesus. We get sent because Jesus has already done these things so that we can be like him. As I get ready to pray, I just want to ask a couple of questions, just rhetorically, just something to consider. As we go into this new year and as we are going to be pounding in discipleship, I promise you, you're going to hear it all the time. And I hope you don't get tired of it. Here's a couple of questions. I'd just like to ask, will you consider the cost that the cross that Jesus asks us to carry? Will you consider that cost this morning? I'd like to also ask you to remember the cost of the cross that Jesus carried. So when asked to carry a cross, don't in any way think that Jesus hasn't asked you to do something he hasn't already done himself. And then maybe a more practical or maybe even more convicting question, I don't know, is what excuses have you made in the past to avoid, to avoid discipleship or to avoid spiritual growth? Here's some that I have made. I don't have the time. Well, I, don't, I just don't think it's, that's a reality. And I'm just speaking to myself because these are just excuses I've made. I don't have the time. Well, I, I think it's a poor excuse. I think if you had time, you know, if I called you and said, hey, I got $1,000 with, you know, your name on it, just want to give it to you, you just need to stop by and have a 15-minute conversation with me. You'd be there, <laughs> right? So I don't have time. I think, it, I think it might be a poor excuse. Or I don't know where to start. We're going we're gonna to teach you and, and show you that. But I think the first place to start is just by uh, being open to these things. I don't know who to disciple. That's a question. Or I'm afraid that things might be awkward. Or, or here's a big one that I hear a lot. I, don't, I just don't like to read. And I, I just think, man, like, I just see you looking at that phone a lot. And, like, I know that you don't have one of those fancy picture phones, right? Like, you read words, right? You read words that are interesting to you, right? I mean, everyone comes together with all their information they've gathered through whatever means of, you know, resource that you have. But you read, So don't let these things just be excuses. Don't let simple, silly excuses get in the way of something that is the most important, and that is your spiritual growth. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.